All right, you argumentative, belligerent, countercultural libertarians. I know the one thing you can't resist is a debate. And I've got one for you. Episode 135 of the Be Yourself and Love It podcast. As sick and tired as you are of hearing me talk about the UBI, as sick and tired as I am of talking about it, this was a good one. Yes, so Dr. Samaroff. So um, essentially what, you know, what, what I was saying was, you know, UBI has always been one of those strange things where it is really a policy without a party. It's a policy about partisanship. I've seen, uh, you know, Marxist defenses and Marxist againstes and everything else. I've seen libertarian cases for and libertarian cases against. But one of the things that really kind of threw me into an existential crisis was this quote by uh, uh, Frederick Hayek, in which he said in uh, volume three of his Law, Legislation, and Liberty, the assurance of a certain minimum income for everyone or sort of floor below which nobody need fall even when he is unable to provide for himself appears not only to be wholly legitimate, legitimate protection against a risk common to all, but a necessity part of a great society in which the individual no longer has a specific claim on the members of a particular small group into which he was born. And I think that speaks to a lot of other things. In the United States right now, we're talking about race-based reparations. We're talking about gay reparations. We're talking about how to steal from different groups of people, hoping that maybe we'll just go ahead and pass enough hands and everything to the point where we'll be happy. And when you look at the existing welfare state, when you look at these cultural issues, which I think a lot of libertarians tend not to focus on, you know, the 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 cultural aspects that is a society, I, I have always thought that, you know, maybe universal basic income, while I don't believe it would cure everything such as inequality, because, you know, the guy that will invest his thousand dollars or the guy that will save his thousand dollars is right next to the guy who will spend his thousand dollars on hookers and blow. I, I do always think it was the most inconvenient, convenient policy because what it forces people to do is to be individually responsible for themselves. So as we look at our country right now where jobs are going to be automated away, and I understand that you have a, a chapter about automation, which I, you know, I went over, and I'd love to discuss it with you. I do believe that, you know, um, with many libertarians, it's always either scrap the welfare state or keep it as is, but you can't ever have a mix or match version of it. I think in the flawed world we live, where basically we do have people on the right and left who are collectivists of all variations, that universal basic income might be the solution that we might not necessarily see at a federal level, but something we could see throughout our, you know, uh, many different states and cities. So it's one of those areas where um, people have tried to convince me prior and uh, I've, you know, it just hasn't really budged. So that's right. my case. Uh, all right. Anthony, would you like to make your opening arguments? All right. Thank you very much, Remzo. Okay, I'm going to lay out my arguments as quickly as I can. Uh, people know that I'm a tendency to be long-winded, but I'd rather respond to what uh, Remzo has to say than go off on my own. Uh, so we'll, we'll see. First of all, first of all, I want to state that I'm not against gradual reductionism. I would never commit the perfectionist fallacy in philosophy, which is to say, well, that doesn't solve the whole problem, therefore we can dismiss that. I think things like school vouchers, for example, which are slightly better than what we have, yeah, we should implement policies that are better. So it's incumbent on me to demonstrate to libertarians that the UBI is not actually better than what we have. 
and that there's alternatives to the UBI which would be better than what we have. Um, the first thing is I have to humbly disagree with uh, Hayek um, and yourself, Remzo, because I don't think that the UBI is going to make the status go away. People who want more social benefits and um, for in society will not go away once the UBI is instituted because, as you mentioned, it won't solve inequality and it won't solve poverty either because it doesn't attack the root of poverty and inequality, which is that some people have low skills that do not have a high market value and they have no capital, which means they're not bought into the stock market uh, or into property, so they don't get a passive income either. All that's going to happen is that we're going to take money from the deep end of the swimming pool, we're going to take it from the rich people, and we're going to pour it in the shallow end, um, those people are going to take that money back into the shops, it goes back to the rich people again, and uh, we'll pour some uh, out in bureaucracy on the way. Now, uh, add to that that this is not uh, zero, so, uh, this is not all things being equal. What's also not happening is those people you're taking the money from to create a UBI are not going to be investing that money in machines and factories and things which increase the number of goods and thereby reduce the price of goods because that's the law of supply and demand. It's only so much time before people start saying, well, I'm disabled, I should have a higher basic income, I'm a single mother, I should have a higher basic income. And that's going to sound plausible to most people. Uh, what's the problem with that? I mean, why shouldn't a single mother get a higher UBI? Well, then we've got rid of one of the best virtues of the UBI, which is that it's meant to get rid of bureaucracy and we're meant to be able to get rid of the public sector workers who are meant to be monitoring this. No, it's going to grow arms and legs like a tentacled octopus or an anime uh, demon. Um, the less said, the better. Right. Uh, I want to say two more points at least, yeah, uh, two <laughs> time <minutes>. permitting. <laughs> okay, one minute per point. Basically, at least the current system is discriminatory. Under this UBI system, very wealthy people will be uh, handed out $1,000 a month, but that's not the only problem. You're also be going to give this money to people who've got substance addictions or people who's gambling problems, bad spending habits, people who are addicted to computer games or Facebook, who should actually be getting out to work in a bar or cafe to mingle with people for some uh, occupational therapy. You're making their lives worse. You're going to make their deaths worse. They're not going to be able to get out the couch, get off the couch, right? So the, the, the thing is, and the final thing is, the most scary thing is, once the government has got control of people's purse strings, uh, and is giving people $1,000 a year. This is the beginning of a dystopian science fiction novel. Now you need to get a mandatory ID card, otherwise they're going to take away your uh, basic income. They've got this thing in China now where they're rating people based on their citizenship score. Pair that with the UBI. They're going to threaten to dock people's UBI. Martinez is going to find himself in a problem because of his liber libertarian activists. Say they're going to call him a political dissident and take away his... Um, UBI and so on and so on. They're going to use this in the future to uh, push people in certain directions. So I, I think this is a very, very scary idea, the government having control of people's purse strings, because people are going to be de-skilled by this. They're going to have even less marketable skills and they're going to be dependent on the government. And that is a very, very precarious situation to be in, because that money can be taken um, 
either way. So if we're going to think of a, a libertarian solution for poverty traps and government bureaucracy, the easiest way to do it would instead of be instead of instituting a UBI, you just pass a law that says for every dollar you make, you lose 50 cents of benefits, or here pounds and pence, um, rather than um, rejig the whole economy in this way that's potentially very scary. The idea that we have to either scrap welfare or keep the current system is fallacious. You know, there is a halfway house. We just don't take away all people's benefits all at once. We just say for every dollar you earn, you lose 50 cents okay, of benefits. that's your time, darling. <laughs> so um yeah th thank you for definitely clarifying that because i think it's incredibly important that people understand because especially for a lot of you know younger libertarians we have something which in my book my first book stay away from the libertarians we call the macho flash mm -hmm. you have an example of you know drug reform for example where one person's talking about uh, the inefficiency of private prisons and the the racial discrimination that goes into which drug offenses are put in jail and which ones are just shoved off. And then you have the other person saying, I want recreational cocaine vending machines in preschools. Um, I think a lot of people just want to jump between what we have now and absolutely nothing. And, you know, to kind of take your points, you know, from your last point going backwards on that, I think a lot of people tend to think, um, that we are still really on the road to serfdom, but to a large degree, I think we're already living in 1984. At least I think that most of the, the world is living in 1984. In America, in North America, I'll include Canada specifically, I think we're really living in a brave new world. We're drowning in a sea of information, and we're completely ignorant in the process. But when it comes to um, you, you know understanding the the, the unintended consequences of this, the people that won't go out, the people that won't produce, the people whose lives will be made worse. I, I think the biggest problem is that um, I, I fear what an angry person does more than a bureaucrat taking my money right now. Because what we have in the United States, and I don't want this to sound like I'm saying poverty is only an American thing, but I'm using American as an example. When you look at the corridor, corridor of pain between Baltimore, Newark, New York City, um, and Detroit, for example, they used to be the manufacturing hubs of the United States. And what have we seen over time? Three big truths. One, we're addicted to fiat. Whenever something goes down, we want to bail it out. Secondly, people feel that they're entitled to work, they're entitled to jobs, they're entitled to a minimum income. This entitlement factor, especially, and I want to say more grown adults, um, it's not just something that they can simply be pulled out of. They don't want to go back in terms of what they're entitled to. They want to get more, and we're seeing that now with their current presidential cycle. And lastly, um, you know, I live outside the most powerful city in the world, Washington, D.C. I grew up in a very, you know, comfortable middle class family. And what I found after college, like many of my other colleagues, is that, you know, a lot of our degrees, we suffer from degree inflation. I have a degree in political science. As I joked last night at an event I was at, it's a good intentions degree for the most part. But some of the jobs I had were as a mall cop, as a GameStop employee, and as a door-to-door -door makeup salesman, ironically. And the one thing I noticed by working with much more blue-collar folks is that, you know, life for a lot of people is a struggle. And while they understand that you have to pay your bills, pay your taxes, be a responsible, productive citizen, I have seen throughout this country what happens when people can't pay the bills on time. And uh, they tend to make very drastic decisions. So when I look at UBI right now, it's not necessarily that it would be, you know, something that would actually fix anything, but it's more like putting a Band-Aid on a 
bullet wound. Um, I think I'm much more afraid of, you know, what angry people will do when they start demanding much more than just, you know, $12,000 a year for just basic problems. Good good response. Uh, So, Anthony, since um, Rimzo did a rebuttal to your opening remarks, uh, would you like to say say something to that and then we'll get into the questions or? Well, uh, it just seems to be saying... um, that the peasants are revolting. I'm not calling them peasants, but you know, basically, I think think it's like, okay, well, these people aren't going to go away, so let's just give them some money and shut them up. And I don't think that's going to work. I think people are, as you said, going to continue to be dissatisfied. And this is one of the problems with um, libertarians advocating the UBI because we should be actually educating people on things like for example the fact that i don't i don't have the exact figures for the usa although there are there is a chart in my book here in the uk since the early 80s the price of house, houses has gone up by a factor of seven or eight so there's a reason for that the government intervenes in the housing market to stop people from buying a house imagine how much richer everyone would be if their mortgage or rent was half what it is now imagine how much richer everyone would be if we had free trade and we could import goods from the poorest countries in the world for cheaper and um uh, and uh, imagine how much richer everyone would be if the fed didn't creep keep printing money imagine how much richer everyone would be if we were say giving vouchers for schools and uh, for healthcare rather than having the government pay for it so that people were competing for uh, to improve the quality of their skills and you're we're really not going we're really losing our imagination when we say well let's just give everyone a thousand dollars to shut them up we should be saying why is it after 11 to 13 years of mandatory education people are coming out the school system with no skills so they can provide for themselves we should be saying to people we should have a society where people feel competent to go out and make things happen for themselves not this um, assortment of wounded people who've uh, wasted 11 to 13 years of their life more if they've gone to college being bossed around and taught to submit to authority and then they find they can't put uh, food on the table for themselves we've been robbed of this so uh, yes there's there's radical reforms to be made to society but just um, saying oh well we should just institute a basic income is not to capture people's imagination and show excuse me <clears throat> show them of a, a vision of the future of what could be possible in a time when, yeah, manufacturing and service jobs are, are going to be automated away, whether you like it or not. But that is an opportunity. That's an opportunity to get rid of the large classroom sizes, get back to, you know, a couple of adults for every four or five students that can really cater to their needs. It's the end of long hospital waiting lists. It's the end of the cost of healthcare when so much of healthcare will be automated. Um, it's the end of old people languishing alone in their houses they're, they're, because all the manufacturing jobs are gone. People can actually go into their community and be there for the vulnerable and spend time with them, spend quality time with them. And, uh, you know, we may get to the point yeah, we may get to the point where we've reached a post-scarcity society where as soon as you imagine a Coca-Cola appears in front of you like the replicator and Star Wars, uh, Star Trek, but we're a while away from a utopia yet. And the, um, the taxation necessary to fund a UBI will slow down automation by taking money away from capital uh, formation 
and it will um, not empower people to be the masters of their own destiny. They're going to be bribed into dependency. All right. Well, uh, we'll move on to the first question then, um, because that is something that uh, I want to ask you guys about. And we'll go to Remzo first. Uh, with the rise of artificial intelligence and the automation it will bring, uh, it's often cited as the biggest reason that a universal basic income is going to be necessary. So will AI actually make UBI necessary? And if not, what will happen to those displaced by the automation economy, in your opinion? So I'm glad that we're touching on the automation question, because this is something that I've only recently begun to really look into. Um, you know, the fact that we have 15 million Americans right now who are directly dependent on the service industry, the manufacturing industry, and, the, you know, just trucking alone, um, slowly what we're seeing through automation, through the self-serving kiosk, through the potential of self-driving vehicles, is that a lot of these people are going to be displaced. I thought that there was nothing more callous than when you had a lot of liberal journalists back in the 2016 presidential cycle who were attacking West Virginia coal miners and coming from Virginia, having a girlfriend who's family family was born and bred in West Virginia coal mines. Uh, it, it really did bug me when you had all these liberal academics that were saying things such as, you know, learn to code. For a lot of people, this just isn't the case. We also see this in terms of a lot of, I call them the National Review conservatives who talk about um, Social Security. I, you know, I believe that Social Security is a Ponzi scheme. It's evil. There's no discussion about that. But when we talk about, you know, just eliminating all um, everything that you have to pay back for Social Security for people that have paid their entire lives into it, you know, just scrap it and start anew with nothing. Uh, you know, it's very easy for a 64-year-old white-collar guy in Washington, D.C. to retire at 64. He doesn't need the Social Security. But whether you say the guy that's been working in a coal mine, for example, or working in manufacturing, he's been breaking his back to support his family and didn't have the money saved. He's He was banking on 401k. He was banking on that Social Security. So I think we need to understand that there are people that aren't necessarily as prepared as us. As us. I think with libertarians, we spend a lot of time talking to each other, but we often don't really listen. I think listening is a big term to the people that don't think like us. In terms of automation, you know, a lot of people say, oh, this is no different than the Industrial Revolution, but to a certain degree, I'd say it's farther than that. It's happening at a much faster pace. More people are going to be displaced at a single time within the next decade, as many are thinking. And the big problem that we're going to see through the rise of technology and artificial intelligence is this. It's good to be better than other people, but how can you be better than perfect? I think we're going to have to ask ourselves that because, you know, everyday people going from financial traders to hedge fund managers are going to be put away to machines. We're, we're already seeing that in journalism for the most part. I work in media and, you know, instead of having actual human curators, now we're going to algorithms. We're trying to appease social network platforms instead of people. And in terms of just the government, you know, promoting a society of dependent, lazy people that aren't reaching their full potential, I also go ahead and I put much of that blame on, you know, just society uh, ourselves. I think we are very much to blame. You know, capitalism is being eaten by its consumers to a large degree. In a debate I had with my friend Logan Albright from Free the People, I, saw, I spoke about, you know, sex robots. What's going to be the purpose of going out and meeting an actual woman where you can just go ahead and, you know, rent a sex robot at a red box outside of a CVS, for example? Sorry if you don't know what CVS. It's like a pharmaceutical store. They also sell beer and stuff. It's really awesome. So, you know, I think what we're encountering right now isn't a matter of what's a good option, what's a bad option. I think we're just dealing with multiple bad options. So we might as well just find the one that eases the pain the most. Interesting. 
Uh, Anthony, uh, your response to that? And um, do you agree that, that there is an AI revolution that we have, some say has already begun? Um, and uh, what do um, you do to happen, or what do you see happening to displaced workers? Well, okay, so there's no way to disprove the idea that this time is different because you can't disprove a negative, you know, you can't disprove the existence of God, for example. So, um, but what we can say is there's no actual evidence yet that the speed of automation is speeding up. Even if it is, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. People are only actually looking at one side of the equation. So, for example, according to Yang, 168 billion per year uh, can be saved by automating trucking, right? That Most of that money is going to go to consumers. So everything we buy is going to go down in price by the price of delivery, by the labor costs that are saved. This means everyone's going to have more money in their pockets left over to buy Lord knows what, whatever they want. But whatever they want is ultimately going to put people into other forms of work because the purpose of work is to serve human wants and desires. If, if everyone's poor, that means there's tons and tons of work to do. If everyone's rich, then then you can make maybe make an argument that there's no work left to do because um, there's so the goods and services are so abundant. Just like the charity shops are giving away clothes Buying a garment used to be a once-in-a-lifetime event. Now they can't get rid of the, all the clothes they manufacture. So they just give them away. I was in India in an internet cafe. There was a, a computer with Windows XP on it. They probably got it for free or for next to nothing in the internet cafe. Well, you know, our laptops are going to end up there. It's going to get to the point with automation and AI that goods and services are so abundant that the people that people will buy machines to go out to work for them and they'll take the wage because if, if someone has a machine that, that their intention is to make stuff whatever people want to buy. Now, if that machine, if those goods and services are so abundant, that person's not only going to have to give away those goods and goods because they don't want them sitting in a warehouse where they have to pay the overheads for the warehouse. They, you know, they're going to have to give them away. They might even have to give away the machines they use to manufacture those um, those goods. So I don't think we really have something to fear for automation when. Um, it could be that the price of goods goes down so far that in the short term they need to take on more truckers in addition to their automated truckers. That's what happens when uh, Henry Ford automated the, um, the manufacture of cars. Cars became so cheap that more people than ever before could buy them and he had to take on more stuff. Now, yeah, in the long term, things are going to get... Um, automated to get uh, away in ways that we can't even imagine. But some of these things, like uh, the, the drones, for example, collect so much data that uh, one military general said their biggest staffing problem was staffing their unmanned pro uh, unmanned drone programs because they needed people to collect and collect the data. So we, there's no such thing as a CAT scan operator or a microchip assembler before the necessary uh, technology has been arrived. So we d we've got no idea what man is going to be doing with machine to create work. But certainly, even if all the work is automated away at the end of the day, we're just going to be in a um, post-scarcity society where because all goods and services are so abundant, they have no sale value. They're going to be as abundant as air. And, you know, 
at least at the moment, no one can sell you air because it's super abundant. <laughs> Not yet. No, you can get canned air, though, right? <laughs> so uh, moving on to the next question, unless uh, there's a, another question to pose from that. I'm sure there's a lot that can be broken down from that, Remzo. Um, and you do have uh, your eight minutes that you, if you'd like to uh, ask Anthony any question or cross. <laughs> um. No, I mean, I, I guess the only thing I really want to mention is, you know, that that's a very, uh, yeah, yeah, it's a very interesting statement. You know, we can't sell air right now. I mean, I think that's really okay. funny, and I love, I love what, what you want. Oh, to sorry, I, I just wanted to add one thing. I, uh, I apologize for cutting across, but uh, I meant to mention with the truckers that might be an argument for a basic income for a year or two, while the truckers retrain or while the people in kiosks have been replaced with service machines, you could make an argument for that. It's not an argument for a universal basic income. And, and, you know, I think it's really funny you bring that up because I kind of just lead to a point I mentioned, you know, um, people freak out when they when they hear $1,000 a month, but you know, $1,000 a month in like New York City, for example, like that doesn't cover the rents. You know, I, I live in, uh, you know, where I live right now, one of the most affluent, you know, one of the most affluent suburbs in the United States. A thousand dollars doesn't even come close to the rents. That's, I mean, that's like nothing. Like you cannot live off a thousand dollars here. So even saying that, you know, maybe for a year or so, I think what we need to do is also imagine just the long-term effect on that. You know, the fact is, no one can live off a thousand dollars a month. You know, rent for most places, even in your most, you know, lower-income communities, maybe four or five hundred dollars a month if you find like the crappiest apartment ever. Um, that thousand dollars goes away. Fact, you still need to work, even if you're living off a thousand dollars a month. Uh, when I was, uh, you know, I started several businesses and I wasn't making that much. And, you know, luckily I had family to lean on. I had that family factor, which I think a lot of libertarians do try and emphasize as a buffer from the welfare state. I've experienced it firsthand. I could talk about it like that. But, you know, when we talk about the thousand dollars a month, I think we also need to realize that that just doesn't cover enough. And secondly, in terms of, you know, like the like the Star Trek example you brought up where you can just go ahead and go to that machine and it can create a Coke for you. I don't, you know, I, I believe that the, <laughs> yeah, the replicator, I think that I think that the free market is the best system for which things can come about. I'm never going to argue against the free market, but what I don't want to ever assume is that you know all capitalists are good people. What we're seeing right now, the China effect, for example, competing of China, we have something as uh, one economist over at the uh, the econ the Economist magazine brought up was the plastic crap effect. Why would you make something that's good and lasting and might last, you know, a generation if you just take care of it, like a camera or a computer, for example, when you could make it with faulty parts and poor components and then, you know, people are going to be forced to take care of it. We're seeing this with phones, iPhones, when iPhone batteries were blowing up and these phones which were supposed to last five to seven years, only last a couple years. Well, what we found out from Apple was that they were purposely infecting their phones with bad updates and everything else to force people to buy the upgrade, to force people to get the battery. So I think what we need to understand is I don't think we'll ever go to that post-scarcity world. I think wherever there was greed, which as libertarians we admit is a natural factor for both good and bad, I don't think we're going to reach that Star Trek Next Generation utopia. All right. Okay. There's a few points in there. Okay, at least three. The first one was about the cost of living. Okay, well, there's nothing to stop your landlord from just putting up your rent because they know that they're, you're getting a thousand bucks a month. So why don't they just put it, put the rent up for a thousand bucks a month? Why doesn't everyone who own a shop just put the price of goods and services up because they know everyone's going to be a thousand dollars a month earlier? Um, 
the only bulwark against that is competition and without um, getting the government out of the provision of housing and letting people build, uh, I estimate that, I, my guess is that they basically just increase all the rents and all the, all the everyone's UBI just ends up in the hands of landlords. Secondly, um, your point about the post-scarcity society, the capitalists don't need to be good people to give away free cokes, right? The charity shops are not um, trying to give away clothes that they can't sell out the goodness of their hearts or give away DVDs and VHS tapes. They're giving all them away because there's no one there to buy them. Out of self-interest, the capitalists will give away the machines and the goods because they don't want to have to pay to keep them in a warehouse somewhere. They have to pay to keep them. So they're going to try and get, ri get rid of them. As for planned obsolescence, the plastic trash, yeah, that happens. It mostly happens because people actually don't want the same phone for seven years, sadly enough. Um, but the, the, the main re the, the, the reason that it happens more than that is basically because of patents and intellectual property are very much reducing the amount of comp mm. the very the amount of competition. So yes, they can sell you a trashy fridge that only lasts a short time. Uh, but if there was more competition in these markets, then there would be more pressure on companies to produce durable goods because um, they're competing with superior products. There's so much uh, intellectual property, whereas in some of these spaces, like the manufacturing of telephones, there's only a few big players. So, and, and the same can be said for a lot of technological industries. Yeah, we, we're it's remarkable how fast our uh, laptop technology is coming on, but probably even more, even faster without these uh, limitations placed on the speed of progress by government. Um, I, I guess I'll, I'll ask you a question. Okay, so I'm presuming that you're, as a libertarian, your ideal is to have a lot less government and a lot less need for government than, say, we have just now. Uh, am I correct? Yes. Right. So what I would like to know is how is the universal basic income going well, to be a stepping stone to us having less government? Because... I, the way I see it, once it's instituted, it's, you're very unlikely to be able to get rid of it. Uh, and I don't see how it's going to help scale back other programs either. Sure, yeah, can I, I answer that? Go ahead. It is one of the questions I have further in the show here, but uh, you can go ahead and answer that. Yeah, I, I mean, the, the biggest thing in this, you know, if we look at strictly, um, you know, Matt Zielinski over at the Cato Institute actually wrote a, a fascinating article about this back in 2014, where he actually wrote uh, a very criticized, I'm not saying it's the best argument for a libertarian case for universal basic income. But, you know, one thing that he does mention is, you know, the size of the current welfare state. Um, you know, it's funny, it, you know, when you look at the welfare state, the, you know, if you're a government employee, the welfare state is basically government welfare for government employees in a way that might not make sense but just you know just bear with me if we just go ahead and lo look at things the way they are now our current welfare state is impersonal it's ever growing because of the rise of the amount of progressive states which are on their own trying to go ahead and uh, raise minimum wage raise benefits give it to people who aren't even citizens for example which only is going to throw out more taxpayer money to non-taxpaying people and you know you, you look at this 
the government is terrible at many things. But as someone that understands how constituent services works, uh, having worked for congressmen and other uh, local representatives, I do understand that when grandma calls to get her Social Security check and she calls the congressman, the Social Security check gets there. Government sucks at many things, but when it comes to paying the bills, you know, at least for constituents, they tend to do that on time. What I look at when I'm thinking of a, a reduction in the welfare state is you're, you're cutting, you know, I think the rough number was about 9 million federal employees that just work for welfare programs. Everything from WIC to housing to unemployment, you name it, it's there. I would rather live in a world where those people are in the private sector and we just have a smaller body of people, maybe even automated, mm-hmm. who are sending out those checks. Right. That sounds lovely in theory, but those 19 million uh, public sector workers are Is heavy. 19 million? I thought oh, well, you said even worse than I said. I, I thought. Did you say nine million? I, I said r- roughly around nine million. Yeah. Okay, I'm just taking what you said. Sorry, I, I maybe missed. It's all good. It's all good. Those nine million public sector workers are heavily unionized, and hell no, are they going to go and just get fired? They're going to kick up a shit storm, as they, <laughs> as as the French say, if you try and take away their jobs, and it's not just going to be them. Because there's lots of people in government who are going to be sympathetic towards them. And there's lots of people who want to buy their votes, but other people will go on strike as well to defend them. So I, I, I think that Zwolinski has a lot, I, I, I've got a great respect for Zwolinski, but I think he's got a lot more faith in what's possible and realistic than I do because 9 million people don't lose their jobs without a fight. And especially since they've been in the public sector, which is a comparatively cushy position where you don't have to work so hard and you get more benefits and they're very sympathetic you can never towards your needs. Exactly. Um, they're not likely going to go into the private sector. They don't believe in the private sector. They, they believe they're entitled to more than their market value. So I, I don't think that they're going to go without a fight, um, unfortunately. It's not going to be that easy. Well, um, this sort of moves into the next uh, question for you, Anthony. And um, it, uh, it has to do with the, the free rider program. And Thomas Sowell, whom we all know and probably respect, I imagine, uh, said that economic policies need to be analyzed in terms of the incentives they create rather than the hopes that inspired them. Will UBI incentivize free riding and cause more problems than the ones it aims to solve? There's a chance that it will improve two things at least. One is that it it theoretically could reduce the amount of government bureaucracy and the other potential is that it removes welfare cliffs where people, if they earn more, they take away less. It disincentivizes people to work. However, like I've said, I don't really believe that will be the end of the story. I think people will call for supplements to the universal basic income. Martin Ford, who wrote Rise of the Robots, who I'm um, debating in January at the Soho Forum, he actively says that he doesn't think a universal basic income is enough, that we should, the government should look to use the basic income to incentivize people to volunteer or do. That is scary shit. That is the government using public funds to nudge people to do this, that, and the other behavior. I think once the government has those reins of power, it's very unpredictable what they might do. And they're not beyond doing egregious things like forcing you to get a mandatory ID card or 
threatening to take away your UBI if you don't agree with the most recent cultural Marxist norms or the status quo. So it's a very, very scary thing. And I do think the incentives for the people in power once they have instituted a universal basic income is really what we need to be scared about, not just, say, the disincentive to work that it may cause, or indeed uh, for the people who are being taxed to pay for it. You know, if I'm a doctor, I'm very unlikely to want to work 60 hours a week to get um, taxed at 60, 70, 80% to pay for a UBI, which is probably not unrealistic. I did a calculation and found that if you took all the billions from the billionaires in the world today, it would only last two and a half odd years to pay a universal basic income for America. So you're going to have to tax people who are on modest incomes to pay for it. And then you've just got this round and round we go, merry-go-round of paying out the universal basic income so people can pay tax to pay for the universal basic income so that people can pay tax for it. I, so, I, yeah, I do think we should be worried about the incentives incumbent in the UBI. Like having, uh, giving gift cards at Christmas when everybody just gives them and just redistributes the, the cash. Uh, right. So, Remzo, what are your, your thoughts yeah. on the free rider program and can UBI even survive that? Uh, I, I mean, I, this is one of those areas where I agree with Anthony entirely. I mean, when we look at UBI specifically, one of my biggest fears about it is, you know, I do at the end of the day, I admit it's a utopian concept. Um, my, my biggest thing is I don't think it could ever be instituted federally. So I don't think it could ever come down from the federal government. But I always thought maybe it could be done locally or statewide. Uh, he does mention, you know, the Finnish experiment in the book. He mentions a few other examples. So I, I highly recommend people pick up his book to go read these things. But, you know, the one thing I, I do want to mention is like, you know, when you look at what happened in uh, I think it was Santa Monica recently in the United States, um, they tried their own UBI experiment. But what the dumbasses didn't realize was that you can't have UBI on top of the current welfare state and expect everything just to get better on top of that. Because all you're doing is you're incentivizing uh, slothish behavior and bad tendencies. So even progressives, and I think this is where Yang is really going to start to you know create a monster he can't control. Because let's, let's admit this much, he's not going to be the nominee. Eventually, other people are going to start taking his thing. And you know the dangerous thing is they're going to say, you know, Yang, you're a freaking libertarian, a thousand dollars a month. What the hell's wrong with you? We should go five thousand dollars a month, six thousand dollars a month. So I do think that, you know, it, it creates that possibility for a problem. I mean, uh, Anthony, let me go ahead and introduce you to a great piece of American literature you might be aware of to give a mouse a cookie. Um it just keeps, you know, he keeps asking for more. He's gonna want, he's gonna want milk. He's gonna want to watch TV if you. He's gonna want to spend the night. He's gonna want the guest room. He's gonna want the car. Eventually, he turns into a home invader and he just kills you and takes your house. I don't quite think that's how the book ended, but it was something like that. Um, you know, when it comes to this, it, it would it would create those problems. But then again, I think the current welfare state is uh, almost equivocal to that. I think you know, when it comes to both concepts, what we're really doing is ultimately trying to apply a bandage to long-term issues. I think we're not necessarily on the road to serfdom, but we're already there now. And, you know, in terms of the ID cards, it's kind of a, uh, you know, a, a side issue. Like, you know, I'm against the concept of a national ID card, but, you know, they already know where we are. They know where we live. Our employers report us. We have to have driver's licenses. You know, Apple goes ahead and give, they'll give all my data to the feds. I mean, you know, I think we're already at that point. We're not on the road to serfdom. We're already in 1984. All right. Well, uh, shall we move on to the next question or 
You got something else to say to that, Anthony? Anthony? No. Well, I can't really disagree with someone <laughs> agreeing with me. So. All right, we'll move on then since uh, we've taken a little extra time. Uh, so we're going to go on to the, the final question here. Um, and that is, you know, this very well may be the most important question of all, Anthony. So here you go. Uh, if we take as a given that the automation society is as apocalyptic to low skill workers as it's predicted, um, as an empathetic person, how uh, would you anticipate anyone being willing to sleep with you ever again since you're so heartless? <laughs> Just curious about that. Why do you hate poor people? <laughs> Anyone who thinks that being heartless is an impediment to getting women into bed <laughs> knows very, very little about women. Um, look up the devil's triad. <laughs> The the good guy never gets the girl. The bad boy always gets the girl. So I I reckon if um, Bremzo wants to get some by the end of the year, he should probably join my side and come over to opposing the, dark the... Side. <laughs> Yeah. Are you assuming that's a problem that... for me? Are you libertarian? Well, uh, <laughs> everyone assumes it's a problem for you. <laughs> So, I can only say, when it comes to the opinion of the ladies, at least, let the poor starve on the street. Amongst guys, amongst guys, obviously, a couple of pints, we'll put the, we'll, we'll, we like drinking beer and discussing how to put the whole world to right. That's what we do, guys. Okay. All right. So, well, good answer. Uh, and, uh, you know, to get back to being just a tad more serious, I'm glad that you found that that funny Rimzo. Um, uh, all of this um, UBI stuff, is that really just, you know, your, your liking of that? Is that just vir virtue signaling to get hot socialist girls into the liberty movement? There are hot socialist girls? Well, that was girls? the second question. Are I mean, there hot every... socialist girls that aren't actresses or, or politicians? You know, you know, all the ladies need love. And, uh, you know, if it works, it works. And that's all I've got to say about oh. that. Oh, okay. Okay, that's all. If it works, it works. Rem yeah, yeah. Martinez. Some, 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 uh, some, some. All the ladies need love, just not for me, you know. Well, Remzo would like to some of them, dole some you of them. out to the ladies uh, on a monthly basis to help them with their issues and and to come to a a basic love tank filling. Right. So. Uh, a universal uh, basic love hey i'm down <laughs> universal basic love it okay i'll i'll pass uh, i'll pass the ones that i'm not interested in to you rem so okay i'll have the ones that don't want to talk to you so wow. it works out that's it's a lot of women cool. that are outside the circle y'all <laughs> uh, so uh so misogynistic, this, uh, this is the most misogynistic debate I've ever oh, taken part in. You. This has gotten dark. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so, so uh, all, all joking aside, um, uh, if you'd like to make your final closing arguments, Anthony, you may do so at this time. 
Ladies. <laughs> About the whole issue, not just the ladies. <laughs> All right, okay. I thought it was just to tell them where to contact me. Uh, What's your country code before they die? Of possible, yeah. Um, my basic argument against the basic income is that it's going to increase state power, not decrease it. And there are several manifestations of that. It's going to cause disruption in the economy and stop progress. Um, and it's going to disincentivize work while incentivizing indolence and bad habits. If you do want to create a soft landing for, say, truckers or people who are displaced by automation, the most least worst policy would be to institute some kind of uh, safety net for people who are displaced by automation that could probably also be abused. Uh, it wouldn't be a perfect solution. I think that freeing the market up would allow people to get into employment when you get rid of things like the minimum wage and labour laws that are costly to comply to. Sometimes to employ someone for $22,000, a company might actually be paying $28,000 or $30,000 when you take into account payroll taxes and mandatory medical insurance contributions and things like that. So there's lots of things the government's doing to make it hard for the economy to reabsorb workers who are displaced. If we can get rid of that stuff, if we can get the price of housing back down to a reasonable level, as I discuss in my book, which by the way you should buy off Amazon. If you if you want your yeah, if you want your copy signed, private message me and we'll sort Ladies. something out. Uh, uh, and gentlemen. Oh. Uh, um, but yeah, I think that you'll enjoy the book. It's got a lot of libertarian solutions for dealing with poverty and inequality and the kind of things that people who like the UBI are interested in solving. Uh, you can't beat something without, with nothing, as the old saying goes. So I tried to provide alternative solutions to the UBI. And, it will, and I tried to go through all the arguments for and against as well as many as I could find. So it will make you an expert on the topic, I think. So yeah, um, my, my, my closing remarks are basically, please buy my book. <laughs> Spoken like a true <laughs> capitalist. <laughs> All right, yeah. Rimzo. Thank you. Good debate. I've enjoyed myself oh, good, immensely. Good. Uh, Rimzo, you may continue now with your final remarks. Thank you. And before I even start, like I do want to mention, like I've been I've been researching universal basic income for several years now. I've written a lot of pieces for and against it. And I like this is this is honest. Um, Anthony has gone ahead and put out probably the most concise understanding of universal basic income I've ever read. You deserve all the credit for this. And uh, no, I mean, th thank you for being here and answering my questions. I do appreciate you staying up, you know, yeah, this is what it's one something sprite two something now i don't have my phone in front of me to see the time or anything but you know i do really appreciate this and i wish more people had this discussion but um you know as we've as as i've brought up on multiple times you know i don't think we're on the road to serfdom anymore i think we're already in 1984 back in 2015 i had kind of a you know a horrifying experience with two economists um from one you know, organization that will renamed that will remain unnamed for legal reasons potentially. But we were discussing the Cadillac tax of Obamacare, and what they did was they each showed 
they they were they're working this together. They were just showing each side of it, so they had to come to their conclusions together. But what they did was they went ahead and they showed the Republican example, which was horrible, and we'd still have the Cadillac tax, and you know America would still be screwed if the worst parts of Obamacare. Then they showed the Democrat argument for how to deal with the Cadillac tax. It was just as terrible. And at the time, I was about 19, 20 years old. I looked at these two men, way more educated than me, way more pedigree than me. And I asked them, you know, wouldn't it be simple if we just got rid of this thing? Because it's not going to work. And we could work on, uh, you know, health savings accounts and we could find other solutions. But we all know that the Cadillac tax is coming. And what they told me was, our job is not to come up with the best solution. Our job is to come up with the most convenient solutions. And these economic hitmen really horrified me. I wish and I pray that we had, um, you know, a hundred Anthony Samaroffs. You know, I wish there were so many more of you. And I, I'm looking forward to your debate, and I will always support you in your work. But sadly, I think that you know we're we're living in a world where it's not going to get any better. And I think that we need to understand what universal basic income is going to do because in some ways it might benefit in some ways it's not going to benefit it's a utopian concept so i think we need to brace for it we need to understand it and you know what he does mention in his book are these libertarian alternatives me someone that has written a book on libertarianism someone that's both very well versed in the austrian school and the chicago school there was stuff in there that i was like well crap this is a simple idea why didn't i think of it first i would have loved to have stolen it so what i'm basically telling everyone to do is like Read his book, understand it, whether you're for it, against it, because I think we're going to see it in the United States, at least within my lifetime. So I don't think it's a matter of if it's only a matter of when. So we might as well be prepared for it. Interesting. I, I pre Go ahead. Anthony. I appreciate the plug. Uh, please feel free to steal any ideas in the book and uh, share them. <laughs> because, because, you know, uh, we write books for a reason because we want to spread our ideas and I'm glad that you found it informative and educational. Uh, I found it informative and educational to research as well. So I hope you give people a shortcut. I, I do have a one question for Anthony. As, as, you were, as you were researching this, were there any big uh, you know, misconceptions or big shocking moments that made you, you know, question even your own stances on things? Or, did, or were you pretty stagnant in your beliefs throughout the book? I tried to learn as much as I could about the arguments in favor of the UBI and occasionally uh, I would keep on coming across extra ones that I knew I had to put in there. I just, um, there, there's a lot, what surprised me or was interesting to me is how when it comes to economics, one thing relates to everything. And there were so many underlying premises that people had, so many assumptions about the way that economies, economics works and uh, the relation of uh, capitalists to workers and the relation of landlords to... And, the, and, and there's so many ideas about the role of government and the government's ability to implement or provide services that actually needed to be examined that were seemingly irrelevant to UBI. But actually, I couldn't give a full consideration of the UBI without touching upon. And that was the main, let's say, surprise or area of interest to me. I actually think this is a fine book to give your liberal or progressive friend or anyone who's UBI curious to give them an introduction 
to libertarian ideas and to economics because it touches upon so many issues. Um, and I guess that's also what I wrote it for to, to as an introduction to libertarian ideas on increasing everyone's welfare. Um, there, I was surprised by the breadth of different arguments in favour of the UBI. Uh, and that was something that was enjoyable to to report. So I think if you're against the UBI, there'll definitely be some surprises in there for you as well. There's always something new to learn, I've found. Thank you. Very no, thoughtful. I, I appreciate it. Thank you very for, thought, for being here tonight and doing this. Very really thoughtful question. And I, I appreciate you being here too. It was really great. Very, very different from my previous debate on the UBI with Michael Munger. Um, so you kept me engaged and interested and on my toes for the wow. whole I were in 15 minutes. So I think thank we've you. made a love appreciate connection it, here. I really do. I think you guys, if only. Yeah. Are I we making eye are. contact right now? Are we, going, are, are we going to? <laughs> Just don't cross the screen. <laughs> does, does this mean? Does, does this mean that when I'm in the states, uh, we're gonna we're we're gonna go hit, go out and hit some bars, lady hunting? I'll play the bad cop. <laughs> you play the good cop. I think he enjoys the bad cop. It's a deal. Come to DC right. anytime. Well, guys, uh, tell everyone, awesome. uh, Remzo, why don't you go first? Tell everyone where they can find you and uh, mention your latest book again. I'm on every platform, but please go ahead and find all my stuff and more at rwmartinez.com. That's rwmartinez.com. My book, Stay Away from the Libertarians, A Comedic Journey to Understanding the Myths, Lies, and Misconceptions about Libertarianism is available on Barnes & Noble online and Amazon and both Kindle and print. We've got the audio book coming out in mid-August. And my upcoming book, How to Succeed in Politics and Other Forms of Devil Worship, available August 30th on all platforms. It'll be voiced by the one and only Johnny Rocket Adams in uh, mid-October in the audiobook format. It's, uh, it's a fantastic book. It covers, you know, uh, storylines both fictitious and non-fiction essentially ripped from the headlines i think you'll enjoy it. it's a book written for everybody whether you're libertarian conservative progressive what have you if you think there's a problem wrong with our political system you're absolutely <laughs> I, right i have to say that you have the best titles of any books i've they're just so good yeah. <laughs> uh, so, anthony where can everyone find you and uh what you're doing these days yeah my um Show titles and book titles aren't quite as imaginative as Remzo's, unfortunately. You can follow the Scottish Liberty podcast on iTunes and other podcasters. We also broadcast live stream on YouTube, but most people just listen. Uh, I also host Be Yourself and Love It podcast, which is a personal development podcast. So if you're interested in improving yourself, improving your life, improving your relationships, improving your communication skills, Be Yourself and Love It, well, it does what it says in the tin really it's not really enough to be yourself you have to love it so uh, check out my podcasts and of course you can buy universal basic income for and against very unimaginative title compared to remzo's book titles but it is a good book and it's not very costly on amazon so you can get your paperback on your be yourself and edition love it, you also have the um series that you did on making small talk i think that a lot of libertarians oh, yeah. really, really benefit from that. Not not just libertarians, but... Are you saying that libertarians are awkward? Maybe are you saying that? Socially awkward. Sometimes. <laughs> so I, I would highly recommend your, your non-libertarian work is what I'm saying, because I think you're a really good therapist and you do good work. So uh, 
everybody go check that out. And of course, um, you can catch the Sherry Voluntary Show on the Sherry Voluntary Show on Facebook or all the other platforms, podcatchers. Uh, and if you have enjoyed this content, you can go to patreon.com slash Sherry Voluntary and find, is it the Sherry Voluntary Show or just Sherry Voluntary? Just Sherry Voluntary. Okay. Well, that's where you go. You find me if you'd like to to do that. So thank you both for being on the show tonight. And uh, my first, you know, moderating a debate and also my first live stream. So, uh, or, or as the show. So uh, thanks a lot for having, for coming on guys. Thank you. That was a, thank you both of you. That was a whole lot of fun. I loved it. Yeah. Anytime. Okay.